Welcome to the Gossip and Glamour podcast, where we cover all things fashion and offer listeners insider access to the Seattle style scene. Join us as we interview Pacific Northwest designers, boutiques, brands, and local creatives. I'm your host, Sydney Mintel. Thanks for joining us. Hello, fashion friends, and welcome to episode two of the Gossip and Glamour podcast. Today, we sit down with Darcy Camden of Styled Seattle. Good morning, Darcy. How are you? Good morning. Thanks so much for being here on the Gossip and Glamour podcast. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure and an honor to be the first one. Happy Thursday. It's almost Friday, which feels like a great excuse to pop some champagne. It sure does. In fact, to celebrate the Gossip and Glamour podcast, I have a bottle of champers right here. We get, oh my gosh, it's gonna <laughs> pop. One, two. Oh my god. <laughs> champagne. Good champagne out of dirty mugs, which is how we roll here. That's kind of how Seattle. we roll. A little, yeah. little scrappy. Cheers to you. Oh my gosh, cheers to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So tell us, what is Styled Seattle? Oh, Styled Seattle is me, basically. It's my company that I started almost 13 years ago. 13's my lucky number. Good. Amazing. <laughs> uh, the years really stack up. I mean, I it's crazy. Well, we've worked together for almost nine years. I know. What? I know. I haven't aged a day, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Our babies are almost five. I'm like, what? It, it goes by even... in a blur. Yeah, it's crazy. So, how did you get started? Like, I want to hear kind of the whole journey. Well, I don't have a degree in fashion. I know you have multiple ones. <laughs> I, of the two of us, I, I, you're, you're the only one holding the degrees. I have a degree in communication and English, too, um, from Western, which is not... Western Washington University in Bellingham is not surprisingly known for churning out um, fashion professionals. No. Um... And when I graduated in 2004, I moved to Seattle to kind of live out my sex in the city fantasies of having like a little apartment with a bunch of shoes and run around. And I took an internship, an unpaid internship on Bainbridge Island, um, which was at the time it was like a really cool internship to get. It was um, one spot available and I with this PR company called Quinn Bryan. And I basically ran, I spent a summer running the media tour for the Old Farmer's Almanac. Um, But I didn't really think it through. Uh, The internship was 7 in the morning because the client was on the East Coast. So it was 7 a.m. until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And because I lived in Seattle, I had to take the ferry. So I was on like the 615 ferry. And I lived in Belltown. I lived five blocks, um, five blocks away from where the free zone started for the bus, because I would take the bus to the ferry and the ferry to the island. Oh my gosh! And I couldn't afford the bus to get, so I would run at five thirty in the morning every day. Run to the run to the free spot, get on the free ride, do the ferry, the whole thing. And then I was done around three, and I needed to have some money. I needed to have some income. Um, and so I took a job as a telemarketer at a talent agency and I convinced them that instead of being a talent marketer, they needed a, a public relations and communications and events department and that I should run it. And they let me, they're like, okay, you can do that fun little project for yourself. Knock yourself out while you answer the phones. Uh, They apparently thought it was a talent agency and you needed to kind of look good to be in the front. And I kind of, I guess, passed the test for, (laughs) for, um, 
clothing wise being able to sit at the front at the front desk and so I created this event department um, trying to get our clients who are these kid actors and models out visible in the community so that other kids could come in and join join the agency uh, and a friend of mine who was the audience coordinator a friend of mine from college was the audience coordinator uh, at Northwest Afternoon over at Como and I said hey I want to get my I want to get these kids on on your show they would love it do you ever do like fashion segments these little models and he said yeah I, we would love to we just don't have anybody to put them together and we don't have money to pay models and I said well my models will pay you like they just <laughs> want to be on TV and I'll put them together so we started doing seasonal, kind of like, here's what to wear for back to school, here's what to wear for springtime, so that my clients could be on television. And the show sold around this time, this is like end of 04, 05, uh, and the show sold a sponsorship to do a series based on what not to wear, and it, ours was called Ambush Makeover, and the sponsor was Supercuts. Amazing. And um, they hired a stylist whose name was also Darcy, uh, Darcy Howard, who became a mentor of mine, um, and she was running a really successful uh, personal styling business in Seattle. At the time, they asked her to be the stylist on the series. She came in and did one test episode, was like, you guys are fucking nuts not doing it I cannot do this this is horrible for like it's way too hard it's so hard there's no money there's no time there's this is like and so and so one of the producers called me and just said hey we sold that she's like, I'm gonna lay it out for you Pub like publicist and publicist <laughs> we sold the sponsorship we have to do this like would you do it and I was like did you already make ads that have the name Darcy in it <laughs> because I didn't think of myself as a stylist and I went in but that was going to be my role is to pick out the clothes as part of this what not to wear thing because what not to wear at the time was huge Stacy and Clinton were huge everyone was all about the this idea of this this makeover like people were obsessed with total that show. takeover yep. makeover experience yeah and so I didn't know, because I wasn't thinking about it from the styling perspective of needing, the outfits needing to be right and all this stuff, I was just thinking about it from a publicist point of view, like, okay, it has to be a good experience for the person, it has to work, the client has to be happy, it, you know, it, we, it has to, I was thinking about it from all of those points of view, and it worked, it was really hard, it was gritty it was we did it for almost three years oh my gosh and my trade was usually like I'll do the makeover segment if in, if in the same show you'll put my kids on because I had this day job and right. I had to justify getting away from the agency to be the stylist on this show and so I was I would be producing two uh, not producing but um doing two segments a day so I'm running this makeover and I've got these models and I'm doing like you know and Darcy's back to talk about what's in for spring oh my god juggling all of this about three times a month for two and a half we did it until the very end of Northwest Afternoon at Como when it and I think I was on one of the last shows because that show went for 25 years and when it ended people were really sad and it was this whole big thing so for people that don't know what Northwest Afternoon was, yeah, like can you kind of give us some kind? Would that be a lot of people who grew up in Seattle grew up watching or their mom watched Northwest Afternoon. It came on in the afternoon, uh, although we taped it in the morning. 
and it started the first half hour 45 minutes was this woman named Cindy Reinhardt talking about the soaps and she would go through she would get a VHS tape every day of like <laughs> what happened in all the soaps and she would give kind of like the rundown so people who were at work or whatever not able to watch they could watch Cindy and she would do like soap opera digest Got it. and then it would go over to um more of a talk show format where guests would come on and we had a set and it was there was a live studio audience of like 70 people and um it was kind of like an institution for a really long time and when it when it ended there there was kind of like a void until New Day Northwest came back in the market but people would watch Ambush Makeover because it always here's the thing Ambush Makeover always looked great it always looked really fun. It always looked, the person always looked great at the end, but it was horrible. So for any, but it was horrible for all of us doing it. Uh, it was fun, horrible for me. I mean, it was, it was interesting problem solving and it really framed how I work as a stylist. Um, but I'm, and I'm super grateful for it, but for the person getting the makeover, it was awful. Um, it was like, it was an, a genuine surprise. So we would, if I was gonna nominate you for an ambush makeover, which would never happen. Oh yeah, but, please don't. <laughs> so like, um, it would be, I would have to trick you to get to the studio. It's like an intervention. Yes. Oh and the way that I would trick you would be to like, think of like, who's your favorite musical artist? Okay, I'm gonna pretend that they're having a concert and I want tickets and we have to go early in the morning. Um, it's fine, be in sweatpants. We just have to go sign for the tickets. And you'd be so excited. You'd be like, yes, Justin Timberlake or yes, whoever. <laughs> and then um, and, and then when you go to sign for the tickets, I, I, I was the person who jumped out of the closet. And I'm like, surprise, you're getting an ambush makeover. And the person was always like, wait, what's happening? I, there's no concert. You think I look bad? Supercuts is going to cut my hair. What is what? It was a lot to process. <laughs> And then we would scoop them up into this small green room where there were no mirrors in this tiny, tiny sink. So Supercuts is having to like, and they're doing hair color and they're having to like wash it out in this like this tiny, tiny sink with like little teeny water, no mirrors. We're having to get them all dressed. I didn't know anything about them in advance. I had maybe a picture. And so the goal was to do something like really different. And in the back, they're often crying. They're like hating it. And our director, Steve, and I would be, he, his line was always, even if you hate it, you love it. <laughs> and they're like, okay, okay, okay. And they hadn't really seen what they look like. I mean, they're going out in front of all these people. And, and like, was it live? It was lot. It was we taped it as if it were live. Got it. Okay. So we're going in. It took us about ninety minutes to to tape to tape it, and then we needed to turn the the. There was no opportunity for it to run long. The crew was done. We turned the the studio over. Like it just had to. It had to work at the very. We had ninety minutes to cut, color, do whatever they were gonna do makeup and wardrobe for this person that I never met. And sometimes it would be so hard where they would send me a before picture and the whole story was that this person had lost 70 pounds. Or like, I'm like, I need a current image, you guys. I don't know. <laughs> really, it's 
flattering that you think that I can pull clothes off of this before picture, but I am going to need a little bit more information. But it taught me how to pull clothes, really. Okay, so what do you feel are the biggest lessons you've learned being on that show? Number one, I mean, the clothes always had to work. Yeah. There was no situation where we drag someone through that and they're already so vulnerable, they have to go on television and there's not a great outfit for them to wear. So that was formative yeah. to how I think about, because I still carry that through when I'm pulling for anything, whether it's a client or an editorial, or it has to work. There's no, there's no scenario where this doesn't work in some way. So that, and sometimes we have to get really scrappy and creative about how we, how we execute that, but that's number one. Yes. The other thing it taught me was that whatever, the reality of what a television makeover is, is awful. But what, I mean, because it has nothing to do with the actual person getting the makeover. And it's all about changing them into something that ultimately they are not. I mean, how could it how could it be? I never met them, so I don't know how to change them in the right direction. I don't know them at all. Um but what happened was people who watched the show because it looks fun, what not to wear always looked great. I mean, it looked at the end, it's like, oh, maybe it was rough in a couple of patches for the for drama, but everyone ultimately came out seeming like they were better for it. Right. In reality, I'm certain that that is not <laughs> how it played out behind the scenes. Um, but people, viewers, would track me down at my day job. They found my email, they called... And they started asking, can you do a makeover on me? Can you go shopping with me? Can you do a makeover on my wife? Not on camera, in real life. And I started, at first I did a couple, I'm like, sure, I'll just take someone shopping. That's easy and great. And then I started thinking about it differently. Like, oh my gosh, there is a real need for the experience that people are hoping for. The TV thing, actually doing that is not great. But the the idea of getting a transformation and working with someone who can help you really um, find a great wardrobe to reflect all of your awesome qualities. I mean, it's frustrating for people when they feel like they can't find the clothes to reflect who they are. A hundred percent. And a lot of people don't even know where to start. They don't know where to, sh- they, they don't know where to go. That's, that's it. They, they can't even really verbalize what they want. They know, they just know they don't own it. They're having a hard time finding it and they're hitting a wall. And so they need somebody to come in and help them put it together. And there are a lot of other reasons why shopping is hard and the, the, cards are sort of stacked against you and and it's it's a it's a big pain point for a lot of people and that's what I started realizing was that people are having 
true anxiety and negative emotion that is bleeding into other areas of their life because they they are waking up every morning and they're having to put on clothes that don't make them feel good. And that is, that's a really physical, tactile thing. You put clothes on you and that, and that's how you go into the world. And if you don't like what you're putting on your body and then you're going out into the world and you're having all these interactions, that can be a real drain. And I started, the more people I talked to, the more I realized, oh, this is an actual, it's not just, oh, la, 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 clothes, clothes, superficial. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. Agreed. And so being able to solve that for people, um, became really important. And then, and so that's when Styled Seattle was really born. And I thought, okay, well, I need a real true process for doing this that I can scale, that I can apply to anybody. Um, and because there needs to be a way to do it because people are coming in and they're very confused. They don't, they're just like, I have this problem and I needed to be the one with the solution. And I know how to fix it, and here's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it started. And I developed a process um, that addresses a lot of the the challenges people have with shopping. And just, I, it honestly, like I made this website. I like poured a glass of wine and like was like on the internet trying to figure out like, how, I, like, how do you make a website? <laughs> and clicked on like some... I don't know, template thing and got a domain and um, I didn't spend enough time thinking about the name of my business. Now I'm kind of locked in no, on No, I, I don't know. Brilliant. So it really dominates the market. But I guess the bigger question is like, when did you decide? Like how did you make the decision I'm gonna launch my own company? I I just start I just started it and I was doing it in addition to my job. So I was doing it, I didn't identify as a wardrobe stylist at all. If you asked me back then, like, what do you do? I would not have said that. I would have said, I work for this agency, I'm in public relations. That was kind of more my identity. But the truth is, I really hated that job. <laughs> I I hated it. Um, I was, I think I was good at I, I think, and I think everyone who worked with me would be like, yeah, you were really good at it. And I started something that I think continues to this day, a department that they didn't have that um, grew. And I had 20 people working for me oh, awesome. when um, I left, but I hated it. It was real, it was hard. And I did it for, I did it for years. Um, I do think having a certain amount of stamina is important because I learned, I, I, I was aware that I was learning a lot and I was able to take chances and make a lot of mistakes that were on largely on somebody else's dime. You know, there was, this is a company that was paying me not very much, but they were paying me and they were also biting the bullet for some of my crazy ideas and writing checks when I said, I really want to do this. And that was very cool. And so I got to learn, I got to learn a lot about management. I got to learn a lot about running a business because I was running this department but ultimately it was not very healthy and so I was just like I need to get I need to get out of this I need to have a life um living in Belltown be in my 20s in the 2000 like in the 2000s I had a very different experience than a lot of people who were having a lot more fun than I was 
Because totally. I was working so hard. Um, I was just working sometimes 70 hours a week. Um, and so I needed to like get out of that environment. And I took, and so I took a consulting job with um, like a startup that was doing, it was like a personal shopping app. Um, that lasted like six months, but it was kind of like my stepping stone. Mm -hmm. And that was perfect because they actually loved that I was a personal stylist. They thought that that really helped me. I was kind of like the, the, I was doing PR for this, for this startup, but they loved that they had a real personal stylist kind of as the mouth speaking for this app. Right. And so they were very supportive of, it was completely fine for me to be like, I'm not coming in. I have a client and they're like, Ooh, great. Tell us how it goes. <laughs> um, and that was really fortunate for me. That was really lucky because I got to focus a lot on growing my business while I had this little, you know, consulting gig and then when that, that ended, I remember being so glad because I felt like I was breaking in half trying to do both. Right. And it just ended. And then I was able to focus 100% on being a stylist full time. But I would say it probably took about two years for me to get to that place. Okay, so a lot of people think about fashion as being this like crazy, chaotic world with different characters. What's the craziest thing? I know you've had to do a lot of crazy things, but what's the craziest thing you've had to do for a client or a gig? You're right. There have been a lot of crazy things because stories just stack up over the years. Um, probably the craziest one that comes to mind is I once styled a hip-hop music video <laughs> that was shot here in Seattle during Seafair. And they hired us really last minute. And they call, she called specifically the artist. And Wait, you talked to the artist on the phone? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, okay. And she was, do you remember Trina? Yes. From, yeah, so it was Trina, I guess, had like a label. And she was kind of nurturing these up-and-comers. This is like maybe four, four years ago maybe. And she was nurturing some artists and there was this new gal and she was doing this music video. She's like, I've seen your stuff online and I really want you. And I'm like, wait a minute, what episode of New Day Northwest did you see that made you think that's my hip hop guru stylist? I mean, <laughs> that's not really like my jam. And so, but it was, it was, it was in the summer. It was really hot. It was like a yacht during Seafair. Wait, they filmed on a yacht? Part, that was one scene. Oh, okay. And Trina came in and some other, like, rap people, and they were on this yacht, and they were drinking whatever, and, and, and so it was, like, bikinis and all of that, and then there was, like, a scene with a Tesla down on Alki, and they wanted, and they gave me t basically 24 hours to pull all of these clothes. Oh, my gosh. And uh, so we're having to, like, piecemeal all of this stuff together just based on what we have in our our studio what we're able to find I remember I called Goodwill and I said I'm doing this project this music video thing and I need fur she wants fur she wants to be draped in fur in the middle of the summer and so like the, in a bikini wearing fur yep you okay. got it that's right. it yep bikini fur yep on like sprawled out on top of a convertible okay and that's so 
I got all these vintage furs because that's all I had access to. It's not like Neiman Marcus is going to open up their fur room and loan me out their $300,000 chinchilla coat. I right. mean, I've got to get what I can get. <laughs> so I can, I'm like, vintage is better and then PETA won't come after you. That's and, right. Um, and so we got all these furs and I remember I had an intern with me and the scene was the Tesla was like driving up and down Alki and the artist was getting really, really hot. It was seriously like 95 degrees. And so whenever they would cut, she'd want the fur off. And so I had, I was my intern's job. I, because I did an unpaid internship, I really believe in unpaid internships. So I like to have uh, interns who we work with for credit or, or whatever um, experience. And so her job all day was to run like behind the Tesla <laughs> up and down, up and down. And whenever they would stop, then the, and the artist would like throw the coat. She would have to get the coat and hold the coat and then put the coat back on and then running. <laughs> Wait, did this video ever come out? I, I think, I think I feel like we have to look, now we need to look it up. It wasn't like a, it wasn't a smash, a smash hit of the summer. If I find it, I'll link it. Okay. Don't worry guys. <laughs> Um, see if we can dig it up. We we're gonna find it. I'm sure <laughs> the listeners will come. But for what it. was so funny about that was like we keep if anybody were to come to our office, we have racks and racks and racks of clothing back there that, and some of it is so ugly and old, and it's like why do you have this? And I'm so hesitant <laughs> to get rid of it because I tell you everything that we used in that video was stuff that I should have gotten rid of because I thought it was so irrelevant, so ugly. When am I ever going to use this? And lo and behold, we, most of what we use, so now I keep everything. I use it as this horrible excuse to kind of catalog and keep everything because you never know who's going to call. Well, that's true. I remember they paid me in cash and I had to go meet like this SUV, the most gangster thing I've ever done. Oh, I was very proud of myself. That's kind of amazing. It wasn't dangerous at all, but it was like, I'm going to go do the cash drop. I once paid someone, I owed her money and I paid her, like I filled like a shoebox with cash. (laughs) So like that was sort of my gangster moment. Meet me up back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the hilarious part is that it's someone who's a style blogger, but she's also a Queen Anne mom. So, like, it wasn't it wasn't that gangster, but yeah, yeah. The music video was pretty pretty <laughs> gangster, pretty gangster. Living on the edge. Yeah. Oh, and everyone was smoking pot all throughout the thing, and I'm like, I can't get the reefer smell on the clothes. They're borrowed. Oh my god, these are just logistical concerns. But but now everybody smokes weed everywhere. So oh, now it's fine. It's but this was before deal. it was legal. And people were drinking like, like carrying around like bottles of like Cavassier and like, well, like red wine in the <laughs> summer. I'm like, guys, you need a rosé in the mix. <laughs> so, um, what do you wish people knew about the world of wardrobe styling? It's rewarding, but I very rarely classify it as fun. So, um, we have a joke here in this office, like anybody who says like, oh my gosh, it's so fun, just hasn't been doing it long enough. Because <laughs> um, that's what, I run into a lot of people and they're like, oh my gosh. I, I usually get two responses from people. Like, you shop for a living, oh my gosh, I hate shopping, that's my worst nightmare. Or, oh my gosh, I love shopping, that sounds like so much fun. And it's neither. Um, it's, it's a, we have a process and a method for shopping which involves a lot of schlepping. So one of the things that we do is we have two offices. We're really lucky to have space um, 
partnering with Pacific Place and with Westfield South Center. So we have two offices where our clients come. And one of our methods is, one, one of the things that we do that I think is really signature to our success is that we go around and we pull clothing from, and I say we because it's not just me anymore. I have a full-time director of styling who works with me is in the trenches and then I have two stylists who um, are super talented and work part-time and come in um, we don't see them every day but we they come in and work with clients one has a specialty kind of focused around closet organizing because that's a big passion for her um, and then our other part-time stylist Olga has a real gift and kindness for working um, with new new moms. And so I would say that's like a specialty for her. Mm -hmm. She just did a maternity session the other Aww. day, which was really great. She's so awesome at that. Uh, and so it's a team. And then we have Tiffany, Tiffany Colors, who does hair and makeup on a lot of our clients. And we have you. And so She's we have amazing. a nice little, we have a nice little community of um, collaborators. I don't think of people as working for me ever. Like everyone does their thing and we all work together. Mm -hmm. um, but having so many clients we have, I would say we have a, around 1,200 clients. Um, people who, um, and most of those people, um, at least 50% might be clients that we worked with four years ago mm -hmm. and we taught them so much that they they maybe follow along with what we do, but they feel a lot more empowered to shop for themselves and we don't see, we might see them in the future, but we set them up so well that they're on a great path to shopping on their own. And I think that's a huge victory. My goal is not to disable my clients to the point where they feel like they can't pick out a t-shirt without talking to me. If that were the case, I would never, I mean, I would have thousands of people being like, ah, what do you think of this all the time? We really want to empower our clients to become better shoppers on their own as part of this process. So it's very educational. It's not just about here's the shirts and the pants and the sweaters and the jackets. It's about how to build outfits. It's about how to find, how to be a good editor and find the, find the things that are really gonna make you happy and be super versatile and how to leverage versatility all of these things. Um, and part of the way that we do that is by pulling items from many different stores and bringing them together in one place so that we can work with our clients on outfit building with just a lot of clothing options mm -hmm. here. And I think that, and that is kind of born from my philosophy that uh, shopping is so much physical energy. Yes. And I think that's why online shopping appeals to a lot of people because it seems like it's less physical energy. You don't have to drive to the store, right. drive to the mall and find the parking space and yep. walk in there and go through the people and go from store to store. It's physically exhausting. And when you're yeah. physically exhausted, you don't have any mental energy left over to think, okay, do I really love this? How am I going to wear this multiple ways? Is right. this going to serve me? Is this the best? Could it be better? What do I like about this? What do I not like about this? That is all, when you're exhausted and tired and frustrated, you can't have those conversations with yourself. And so um, we create the space for those conversations to exist and then we facilitate those. 
And I think what you do is so incredibly efficient because like you said, you know, a woman goes into a store, she tries on a pair of jeans, they don't fit. And she's like, that's it. I'm just never going to buy a new pair of jeans because nothing fits me. And so, you know, your team pulls, you know, 10 different pairs of jeans, you know, five different labels. And I think, you know, it's such a great use of someone's time is to just be in the fitting room. This pair doesn't fit. Great. Here's another pair. And, And you kind of go through until you find a pair that works. And in real life to go to five to 10 different stores to try on a pair of pants, like you're just not going to do that. And right. so I just think from an efficiency standpoint, it makes so much sense. Cause there's not one store. A lot of our clients are hoping that there's just this one store where they can go right. and it's like their names and lights on the front of the store and they love everything in there. And that's just not a reality. There's no one store. And so right. we try to, but I had a lot of clients saying that to me like, Oh, I just wish there was a store. Right. So that's what I sort of thought at the beginning people were saying that to me, um, help me find my store. And it's like, okay, no, I need to build you your store because your store is a couple of items from here and a couple items from there and a couple items from there. And that's how people, that's the wardrobe that people want anyway. Totally. They want a couple of really affordable things from, I mean, Target's doing cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want some investment pieces. They want some things from a small boutique. They want me to dig through the clearance racks at Ann Taylor and Banana Republic and pull the gems out of there and merchandise it in a way that looks really appealing and also teach them how to build outfits. So something we say a lot is items make outfits and you can only ever really use outfits in your life, but people get way too focused on items and most people shop in items. So they find a shirt and they might love the shirt, but you can't wear a shirt by itself. Or you've got, you spend the day finding the jeans. Well, that's great, but do you have the shoes to finish the outfit? Right. And so that's a big part of what we do. Having all the items there lets us really work in outfits constantly where we're evaluating a complete look and nothing is left out. The accessories are there. The shoes are part of it. Um, so that it's com- complete. Mm-hmm. And then my client in the complete look is able to either say, I love this or, mm, I don't love this. I do love this. And we can kind of workshop it and take their feedback and really dial it into whatever makes the most sense for them. Because if the, there's one thing I know about styling is that I cannot make somebody like something. Right. Styling is like tasting food. Yep. What tastes great to me might not taste good to you. I don't like tomatoes and you can dress them up however much you want and I but I'm never gonna like it and it's not it's not a chef's fault and it's not my fault either like let's just make you something else yep um, and it's frustrating sometimes because I will take every piece of feedback that my client has told me about their life and their job and what they want and looked at Pinterest and evaluated their budget and really I feel like I've got I've nailed it and they just look in the mirror and they give that shrug that's like, they don't see it, they don't feel it, they don't love it, it's not, it's not there for them. Mm-hmm. And as much as I wish I could be like, oh, if you could just love this, this would be so much easier for both of us. Yeah. That's not what it's about, it's their clothes, and it's what they're wearing. And so it becomes about me listening to what could be, what is better for them, what gets it to the, what gets them to the point where they're feeling like I really, I'm excited to wear this because you get energy from that. Oh my gosh, 100%. If you love the way you look when you look in the mirror and you have an outfit that you feel empowers you in some way, I mean, that is just magic. It is, yeah. 
How do you think fashion styling plays into sustainability? That's a great question. And I'll start by saying I do sometimes feel a little bit of guilt because I frequent some of the biggest offenders, the H&Ms, the Zaras. Um, I mean, it, it's a genuine problem. And when you spend a little bit of time thinking about it, you go kind of into a dark place. Yep. Um, and so how I reconcile that is, um, number one, I think that owning clothes that you really like and you wear over and over and over again and have for a long time is good for the planet. And so what we want to avoid and what I think my process for people effectively does, we want to avoid people buying something, basically never wearing it, and then putting it in a landfill and going out and doing it again and again and again and over and over and over for years and years and years. That's the cycle we want to break. Right. Um, and so I, a, a, a lot of my clients though are, they're on a budget. They, they want to utilize affordable brands and, and the Zara's of the world bring us really trendy things at price accessible options and that can be some of the things that are really exciting and fun to own so what we do is we show our clients how to get maximum use and leverage out of those pieces so that they can get the good deal but they are also using things over and over and over again we kind of preach it's better to have one shirt that you can wear five ways than five shirts that are just sitting there or that you're going to ultimately give away. And so I think learning versatility, practicing versatility, thinking about versatility when you buy, evaluating. We use a rule of three with our clients. So when we love something, okay, great, but we want to be able to make it work in three outfits, and that's kind of our versatility high bar. Mm -hmm. And something that only gets worn maybe one way is, is maybe not achieving that high bar and something that might just sit and might not be a good value. So good value for the client, but also good value in terms of footprint. Right. Um, and then we also help our clients clean out their closets really thoughtfully. We try to, we do not just wheel in a garbage can. We don't pull a Stacy London and kind of bring in this garbage can and throw clothes in the trash. Right. That's so gross. Um, we usually start all of our process um, by taking stock of what our clients own. We want to learn the lessons. So try to, as corny as it maybe sounds to some people, like I try to honor where my clients are coming from. Mm-hmm. They've invested time and money in buying things, and while they might not, they might be feeling um, they don't like what they have. There's a lot, there are a lot of lessons there and we want to take stock of them and we want to acknowledge them, learn them fully so that we can go in a new direction and not feel like that was wasted money and effort. And so we try to learn as, as we get rid of things, um, to donate to whether it's Seattle Goodwill, we do a lot with Seattle Goodwill. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we do a lot. Um, we've done projects with Union Gospel Mission, Dress for Success. Um, so we donate those clothes really thoughtfully, and that helps people feel really good. Um, sometimes we do consignment, which I think is another kind of sustainable avenue that's mm -hmm. kind of a win-win. You know, our clients can get money for clothes that don't that are in really great condition, that don't fit them anymore, and somebody else can pick up something that's been previously owned but um, is kind of unique, and they can get a good deal on it. So that's great. We we foster that a lot. Um, but we help our clients, you know, learn the lessons of, okay, I, I was buying a lot of this and I don't want to do that anymore. We kind of unpack that mentally uh, and give them a new solution and then kind of put that to bed. So we try to think that we are doing our part by helping our clients just stop this get off that hamster wheel of I'm just gonna buy a bunch of stuff and it doesn't make me happy and I'm gonna get rid of it and that's a real negative cycle that I think is fueling fueling this fast fashion problem that is that's a genuine big one it's a genuine problem for the planet it is yeah. it really is okay so what would you say you're most proud of I would say that I am most proud of the fact that genuinely thousands of people wake up every morning in Seattle and put on something that I helped pick out. Whether it's I recommended it on New Day Northwest, whether it's that I actually picked it out, or whether it's that they worked with someone who's a stylist in my company who helped them pick that thing out. And hopefully they leave their house in the morning and they go out in their day and they feel good or they at least didn't have anxiety or yeah. whatever. I made their morning a little easier. I made their day a little bit better um, because of something that I recommended. I'm really, really proud of that. I'm really proud of that. What advice do you have for people who think that they want to work in fashion? Fashion is so broad. Mm -hmm. You know this. We hear this all the time. Oh, I want to work in fashion. I mean, that, that could mean so many different things. I feel bad sometimes when people are like, I want to do what you do. How did you get started? And I feel like I have this very unique path that nobody else could follow and I have little to offer in terms of advice for like here's how to do exactly what I did because I don't know if anyone could do it the same way that I did it mm -hmm. um I think that Having, I think you need stamina in this business. 100%. The only reason we're still doing it is because we didn't stop. Right. Um, and the only thing, and I have regrets about things that I did quit uh, in this business, for sure. Because you can't do everything. Right. And I look back on for, um, for a couple years, I had a digital magazine that I taught... Um, um, that did really, really well. It was just a lot of work 
was a ton of work. Um, I taught myself InDesign and I cre I created this magazine. Uh, it was really fun, but ultimately it um, it was taking me away from from doing the styling work and I couldn't do both. And so I put that to bed. I had a podcast for a while. If, mm -hmm. if I was still doing it, I'd still be doing it, you know, but yeah. I had a baby and that had to go, that had to go, you can't do everything. Right. Um, and so I think sometimes just the difference between success and failure is just not quitting mm -hmm. and that you just stay in it. And that's, Hard advice to give and receive because you have to also balance that with letting go of things that aren't right for you. Right. And so there's, I still, I, I have really hard days. I have days, I mean, it's not glamorous. I think people don't believe us when we tell them it's not glamorous it's not glamorous and they're like yeah yeah that's what glamorous people say <laughs> um and then they come and intern with us or whatever and we burn them out in three weeks so and they're like, like that out. was you were correct that right. is actually not glamorous yeah uh a majority of my job still is schlepping bags of clothes i mean if you run into me downtown i am hauling bags and half the time I'm wearing like sweatpants and, and a beanie and sneakers and I'm running from, I can do the loop of like, <laughs> I can do the loop of like Nordstrom Rack Zara, Banana Republic, and then usually then my arms are so full, sometimes I can get locked in there maybe and I can do <laughs> a, a loop. I'm really official. I'm like the fashion terminator. Yeah. Again, really doing are. it for so long, I can be in and out of a store with all the best things for a person in under 10 minutes. That is, You're that didn't happen overnight, but I can do. Ninja. So Darcy, what are you going to be working on? Did I emphasize the schlepping enough? Have I, I fully emphasized the, the amount of schlepping? Schlepping so much merchandise, <laughs> but that's what makes it amazing for the client because they don't have to do all the schlepping. Your team does that and you guys are really efficient at it. And oh my gosh, for a TV segment or an editorial, that's even more clothes that we're pulling in and out. Yeah, it's great. So if anybody wants to come intern here and haul things around. You're more than welcome. We'd love to have you. If you last more than two weeks, I'm going to be impressed. Yes. <laughs> we have had some great interns. We should give a shout out to them. Aww. We have some interns who are doing some really cool things. And it was the interns who didn't quit. Totally. And saw it for what it was, which was a great learning opportunity. Um, and we have some other interns who genuinely probably hate us. Oh, Yeah. Well, I mean, fashion is hard. People think it's so fun, but it's a tough business and you have to develop a thick skin and you have to have a great work ethic. And if you don't, you won't last. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, the moral of the story. If you want to work in fashion, you can, but it's super hard and you have to develop a solid work ethic and just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think for the, you know, for the listeners out there who are like, I don't know where to begin, you just have to start. I mean, don't you agree? Like, you just have to start doing the thing. Yeah. Because then a year, you know, a month will go by, and then a year will go by, and then three years will go by, and then you will have been doing it for three years, and then five years, and ten years, and thirteen years, and then all of a sudden you're not at the bottom of the, you know, bottom of the barrel anymore. You just have to start. Um, one foot in front of the other, and learn. Take the lessons. They're usually hard. You don't really learn anything from a good day. No. 
And let's talk about... Although I'll take a good day any day. Uh, Well, I feel like today's a good day because we're drinking champagne in the office and hanging out and... Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit also about kind of the evolution of your business. So you're now the resident stylist at New Day Northwest. You do segments um, on Q13. Mm -hmm. You style for Root Sports. What else are you working on? Um... And we get to be the resident stylist at Pacific Place and mm-hmm. South Center, which are really, really cool partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really proud of those because in both situations, the property came to me and said, hey, can you, can we have your business here mm-hmm. uh, as an amenity, basically, for the property, which is really very cool. Amazing. Um, so, and everything kind of came to me at the right time. Um it, not without challenges. I started New Day Northwest almost 10 years ago. That We're going into almost our 10th season. That is crazy. Um, the director of Northwest Afternoon started, got picked up by um, King 5 and started New Day Northwest. And when they were putting the team together, he was the one who said, like, I know who the stylist should be. She was the stylist over at Como. So that is, and that's kind of a theme of, I think everything is having a big, having a network, mm-hmm. um, having a good reputation yes. helps a lot, which is just being nice to people. Um, and doing a good job. Oprah says, I quote Oprah a lot. I love um, Oprah. Yeah. But Oprah says like when, when you do your best people notice and I think Every next level thing that I've achieved is because I I did my best when maybe maybe no one was watching. I didn't know who was watching, right. um, but someone was watching, and and it it paid off. And you do your best over and over and over again. I've done probably I don't know five hundred TV segments, and there's there's a balance of knowing when. You, you have to make it work. So when to when when to do that? Because um, sometimes I want to I want to talk about something and I just can't get it in time, and so I have to pivot. Yep. But there's also just last week I got in my head, you know, oh this outfit that I'm going to show would be so much better with this other pair of shoes, and I went to I went downtown I went Northgate and I went to Alderwood and they didn't have it and I'm at Alderwood and I'm looking on on the Nordstrom app and they have the shoes at South Center oh no and there's this other pair of shoes that would have been fine but the shoes that I really wanted that I wanted everyone to know about were down at South Center and so I was just like fuck and I got in the car and I drove from Alderwood to South Center to get the shoes to put them in the segment I could have not done that um but I walked away from that segment knowing that I did, like, I made that choice to do the thing that I think was the better thing. Mm-hmm. So whether that paid off in any karmic way, I'll never know. But I feel better about it. And I always, I have never walked off a segment feeling like I did a good job. Really? I feel like your segments are awesome. And one thing that people should know about Darcy is that she can literally ingest a script in like 30 seconds like it's I've never met anybody that can just like I don't know like you're just so great about reading something once and then being able to deliver it kind of first take on air part of it is 
not trying to remember like a word sequence and more like digest it as like an idea because mm-hmm. it's easier to share an idea and kind of put it into my own words which I should say my own words everyone who's been listening to this can tell like I'm not a super polished speaker <laughs> I kind of I'm a big over communicator I'll back up and say things multiple times I don't think I have like a I don't think I have a great voice for television when I was in college I actually wanted to be like a broadcaster and I had someone say very earnestly like, you don't have a great voice for it. And they're totally right. They're totally right. And yet, somehow, a decade later... And yet, later, somehow, it did yeah. work its way... It, it worked its way in. And so, um, I think I'm a little spazzy. I think I'm... Um, I You know, my hair is usually messy. Like, a lot of times, I'll watch my segments back, and I'm so... But because I'm... I have to haul in the clothes and I'm dressing the models and there's six models and then they're like, and you're on. There's no time for me to check my hair. But I think that's what's so great and that's what makes you so good at your job is that it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, not, about it's not about you. It's about the clients. It's about the segment. It's about the bigger picture. Um, and and I think that that is why you are so successful. We don't have like a sing. I don't have a, an aesthetic that's like a, a me. Like I dress people this way. Um, and nobody. I try not to have that anywhere in my company. Like a client comes in, we dress them like them. The right. process is about figuring out what they want to look like. Not it's not dressing people up like me. Um, sometimes I'm so in the head of that client that when I do that session, I show up in an outfit that's like leaning towards what I've done for them mm-hmm. because I just am, and and also I spend so much creative and I don't think of my if someone's like oh you're a creative person I don't know if I have that like I don't know if I wear that badge all the time. You are super creative. Though. I think I have part... I, I don't... I'll say I'm creative. I'm not an artist. Like, Tiffany's an That's artist. Our, our good friend, Tiffany Colors, Tiffany Trayano, she's an artist. She, you can... And watching her work, I am way more process-driven, um, communication, problem-solution, and I just happen to be, like fashion and clothing and you know the visual is like the media for that but I don't know if it's every now and then I'll get like a little creative itch that I just want to scratch and I go play in that space for like a little bit but I don't live there so Darcy where can people find you online at styledseattle.com styled with a d s-t-y-l-e-d seattle.com um and every other Tuesday on King 5, New Day Northwest. Couple times a month usually on evening. And whenever we think of something good to say, we go on Q13. (laughs) We used to have a regular segment over there and now it's just kind of like whenever we get an idea for a fashion and beauty series. I do those segments with Tiffany. And so they're pretty fun because they, they're a little bit of me and a little bit her, and we combine fashion and beauty. And they're really, uh, that live news is really fun because all of a sudden, boom, you're on. And we might 
get to talk for six minutes and we might get to talk for three minutes and we never really know until we're just about to go on and they're in the earpiece and they're like, and we have four minutes and we're back. And <laughs> we just sort of, and we just kind of have to adapt on the spot, which is really fun. Thank you so much for being here oh on the gosh, show. Oh my gosh, thank you. you. Big hug. I'm so Amazing. happy that you're doing with it, doing this podcast. Thank you. And I think it's fantastic. You ask the best questions. You draw the best stories out of people, and I cannot wait to listen to all of the great interviews that you are going to do on this podcast. Oh, thank you. Proud of you. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Sydney Mintel, and you've been listening to the Gossip and Glamour podcast. See you next time.